Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of the Cortalinish podcast. I'm your host, Zach Lowy, and I'm here today with a very interesting and knowledgeable guest, actually the first Brazilian guest that we have had on the show. Uh, saludo para toda minha galera. <laughs> we have the honor today of speaking with Marcos Alves, who is a Brazilian journalist currently in Lisboa, um, who has written for a number of different leading outlets, such as BBC, Bleacher Report, Kicker, uh, 442 ESPN, really just a who's who of, of the best football outlets across the world. So super excited to have him on. Really one of the best, one of the biggest journalists when it comes to analyzing Portuguese football. And so super excited to have him on to discuss a wide range of subjects today. How are you doing, Marcus? I'm fine, Zach. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for your kind words. So First off, just talk to me a little bit about your career path, how you got to Lisboa, and how you got to be one of the most popular and knowledgeable journalists on the subject of Portuguese football. You know, it's funny because uh, before moving to Lisbon in 2017, I worked at the ESPN in Brazil for eight years. There, covered the 2014 World Cup, the 2015 Copa America, 2016 Olympics. And then in 2017, I thought to myself that, okay, I think I have already done a lot of things here and it's time maybe to jump out of my comfort zone. So but the idea I had I had on mind back then was much more radical, maybe I can say that, because my idea was to travel around the world and being reporting from those places. But my girlfriend said, okay, you know, I, I'm not into this. I want to have a base. I want to have a place that I can call my home. So just because she has a Portuguese citizenship, we decided to move to Lisbon. And by the time I moved to Lisbon in 2017, I had never set foot only in Lisbon before, so it was pretty much going into a place that I had never been in my life. It was not like something that I had planned. Okay, I want to move to Portugal because in Portugal I can do this, I can do that. It just happened, but so far I can say that it's been a really great experience and I don't have anything to complain. It's been a really pleasure. It's always your girlfriend who ruins your dreams, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in this case, you can say that it set me in a good direction. So I don't have anything to complain about that. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm curious, were you always interested in Portuguese football? Or was this more, more of a, a recent development? Because, you know, I've always been interested in the perspective of Brazilian journalists such as you, Bruno Andrade as well. Of course, uh, plenty of other who moved to Lisboa um, because, you know, Brazilian football, it's like, it's a religion, you know, there's yeah. really, I, I'm not even sure if Portuguese is on the same level as the Brazilian passion for football. I remember living in Madrid for myself and, and playing football with some Brazilian kids who are living in Madrid and it's just kind of a religion to them. You know, they're super passionate about it. So the passion for a, a Flamengo match or an Internacional, so, so high. I'm just curious, what do Brazilians think of Portuguese football? You mentioned the, the passion aspect. And when it comes to that, I'd say that in Portugal they have more passion 
than we do. Brazil is a continental country, so there are so many, so many things. There's a, the big 12 clubs, the biggest one in the country. In here, pretty much you have the three big ones, in also Braga. And apart from them, I don't think people in Brazil are able to recognize the other teams like Passos de Ferreira, Portimonense, Huawei, and the other teams. So my knowledge of Portuguese football before moving here was pretty much concentrating on the three big ones. So, of course, there are things that I was impressed when I moved here because I didn't know the level of football here in Portugal was so good, uh, like I found here. But there were other things that uh, didn't disappoint me a bit because uh, I would say that what happens here out of the pitch, I have never seen in my life in any other country. I found the things that happen here out of the pitch so toxic, you know, it's not a healthy environment. And obviously, obvious, it affects the what happens on the pitch as well. Definitely. Super excited to have you on. Uh, we also have a lot of Brazilian players that are doing quite well in Portugal uh, that I want to talk about as well. Yeah, a lot of action has gone on since our last podcast with the amazing Tom Cundert. We've seen Famalicão take back-to-back victories against Vitoria de Guimarães and Nacional, as insane as it would have sounded a month ago or two, to stay in the race for the final European spot. So we saw that. Gil Vicente taking a 2-0 victory at Passos de Ferreira. Passos obviously destabilized a bit from the eventual departure of their manager, Pepa, to Vitoria de Guimarães. Big win for Gil Vicente and sporting Loni, actually, Pedro Marquez getting a goal and assist in that victory on Friday. We also saw Braga uh, beating Moreirense, uh, Farench with a massive one-nothing uh, victory uh, against Tondela via penalty from Ryan Gold, uh, obviously one of the best players in Portugal this season, to cling to their lives in the top flight. Uh, Boavista also beating Portimonense at the weekend via goal from Jackson Poroso. Porto getting a three-nothing victory against Huav, as well as uh, Vitoria and Marichimo getting a stalemate. And Santa Clara with an impressive 2-0 victory against Belenich Sad. So, a lot to talk about. But yeah. I do think that, obviously, the biggest fixture of the past week has been the Superclásico. Benfica Sporting. Perhaps a bit anticlimactic just because of the events of the past week. Sporting winning their first league title in 19 years. Absolutely insane celebrations across Lisboa. Massive achievement to them. Kudos. But there was an interesting result because uh, for the first time all season, Sporting lost in the league. They were on track for an undefeated record, right? Just one game remaining. And Benfica ended up winning. So let's talk about this to start off the episode. Hupen Amorim going with a pretty heavily rotated side in the wake of the celebrations. You know, I'd imagine that quite a few players were still hung over or shall we say recovering from the events of the past few days, which, you know, completely deserve. What they've done is incredible. And so, you know, we saw Joao Pereira getting the start as the right wing back over 
uh, Pedro Pojo, who is injured. I believe he may even miss the Euros uh, because of that injury. Uh, I'm not sure, but Joao Pereira, a player who was brought in to provide experience, a player who is incredibly uh, more than a year older than the manager, Ruben Amorim. Joao Pereira starting on the right side of that 3-4-3. Mateus Reis, the Brazilian defender brought in from Huav last season, getting the start on the left side of defense, on the left side of back three, position usually occupied by Zuhair Fadal, and really interesting double pivot. So the traditional double pivot of João Mario and João Palinha going on the bench and uh, two very promising young talents in Daniel Braganza and Mateus Nunes uh, getting the start in the center of the pitch. Pretty heavily rotated side. First off, what did you make of this performance from Sporting? Uh, were you impressed at all by any of the, shall we say, the surprise starters? <laughs> it was, like you said, it was kind of expected because after so many wild celebrations around Lisbon, you would expect Rubén uh, Morin to rotate his, his scene for... What I didn't expect was Benfica to play as well as they did in the, in the first half. It was... I think the key for the game because uh, after that first half, Sporting were not able to return to the game to get a, a draw after the game. So there wasn't a single player that I would like to maybe Pedro Gonçalves impressed again, again, you know, once more in this season. I mean, he has been one of the three best players of Sporting this season so far. Definitely. Pedro Gonçalves is definitely going to be included in the team of the season and may wow. even win the best player award. Early onslaught from Benfica going up 3 nothing within uh, the first 40 minutes via a goal and two assists from one of the most criticized players in the Benfica squad, PC, a player who may or may not be, be set for a surprise inclusion in Fernando Santos's Portugal squad. We've been talking about that in a bit. So Benfica getting a 3 nothing lead early on. Goals from Harris Saferovic and Lucas Farissimo, as well as PC. Pedro Gonçalves making it 3-1 right before halftime. But Harris Seferovic converting another goal to remain in, in the race for top score with Pote. And so 4-1. And we did see some substitutions at halftime from Amorim, uh, João Mario, and João Paulinha coming in for Braganza and João Pereira. But the 4-1 uh, really made it kind of, shall we say, a, an insurmountable lead. We did see Sporting draw Another goal from Nuno Santos, a player who drew a bit of criticism because, as we spoke about on the podcast, you know, spent some time both at Porto and Benfica, even winning the league title in 2016. And then uh, in the celebrations, he held up a banner that says, Gracias a Dios, no soy limpio. Thank God I am not a Benfiquista. Absolutely have to admire the trolling and banter from Nuno Santos. But yeah, I think no. he wasn't even aware of what was written yeah. on the it was like he was maybe had a, a few drinks already. So he yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, whether or not, you know, you can't be too mad. It's just, it's, yeah. it's all good and fun in banter. Yeah. But yeah, Nuno getting a second goal. Pote with a third. And yeah, Sporting desperately trying in the final 15 minutes for an equalizer, but they just couldn't. So Benfica taking a 4-3 victory against their rivals at the Estadio da Luz. Obviously still a phenomenal season for Sporting, but got to say that is a massive result 
for Benfica, scoring four goals <laughs> against um, a team that I believe, but prior to the match, had by far the best defensive record in Europe's top 10 leagues. I believe they still have the best record, but yeah, only 19 goals yeah. conceded uh, across 33 matches and four of those. So over 20% of the goals that were conceded by Sporting in the league this season came from oh. this Benfica match. That That is pretty impressive for a team that has not had the best of season. Talk to me about this performance from Benfica just how much of a swing is it and uh, how can they build on this? You know, you mentioned uh, Pizzi and, and, and I think there are players from Bifica like Pizzi, perhaps uh, Grimaldo and Seferovic that I think, okay, they are good players, but I think they have been at Benfica for far too long already. I think Benfica needs to, to bring some new blood let uh, new young players like Gonzalo Ramos, perhaps Paulo Bernardo in midfield, and, and maybe Nuno Tavares in left back, and let them play because I think these players have already done what they were supposed to do for Benfica. I think Benfica, apart from, of course, they have to do better. After spending 100 million in the transfer market, they have to do much better next season. But I think also they have to address these small problems inside the team because since I moved to Portugal, they have been talking about, okay, Grimaldo is leaving this transfer window. Grimaldo is leaving to Napoli. He has in part become kind of a meme here in Portugal. And he, the guy never leaves Benfica. And I think, okay, he's a good player, but I'm not sure if he's a good player if he are aspiring to do good things in Europe, or you know, in European level. In the the same can be said about uh, PZ. There was a, a time in the past that I talked to this Premier League scout. He told me the, 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 the thing, okay, PZ is a good player if you are talking about uh, the Portuguese football level. But if you want to do a good pressure and maybe in the Champions League, even in the Europa League, I think you, you have to bring in better players than PZ. Because PZ, okay, he's good for Portugal, but Benfica keeps talking about, okay, we want to win the Champions League. Luis Filipe, the president, always says, I will just leave Benfica if you, we win the Champions League. So, in order to win the Champions League, you need to have better players at disposal of the coach. And they, they do, in, in part, but Pizzi uh, keeps playing. Yeah, I, I didn't expect to see Pizzi in the starting 11 this season. But then again, the guy is there. So... I think Benfica has some, some problems to address at the, in the, the winter, during the summer, and I hope they do, because uh, the stronger the Portuguese football is, the better for everyone here, I think. Definitely. So, PZ playing on the right side of attack, and George uh, Jesus going with a 3-4-3 three, three, uh, that we've seen a lot from both sides of Lisboa, both from Amorim's side, as well as George Jesus, who shifting his, his traditional formation to go with a 3-4-3. Three, three. Uh, Lucas Ferissimo obviously coming in in the right side of defense uh, alongside Nicolas Otamendi and Jean Vertonghen, Diogo Gonçalves and Alex Grimaldo playing as wingbacks with Adel Tarabat and Julian Weigel in the center of the pitch. PZ playing on the right side of that attacking trident alongside Seferovic and Everton Suarez. It does seem like Grimaldo is sort of like this generation's Nicolas Gaetan. You know, Gaetan, a player who pretty much was linked to every single club under the sun for so many years. 
finally ended up leaving for Atletico and didn't really do much there and then went to China and now back at Braga. So going to face Benfica for the final match of their season in Sunday's Tassa uh, final against Braga. What are you expecting uh, from that match? I think it's going to be a, a very tight match in between because Braga, that was in this time during the season that I, I was expecting Braga, maybe, okay, Braga is going to have the best season ever, maybe finishing the season in second place. And I, I was not expecting them to, to fight for the title, maybe finishing ahead of Porto and Benfica. But then I don't know what happened inside the dressing room, but something happened, definitely something disrupted inside the team. And they've not been playing at the same level they, they were playing maybe two or three months ago. And Carlos Cavalhau, their coach, has made this clear that he was disappointed with the, how the, the team was finished the season. So I think Benfica gets to this game in a much better situation than Braga. So I would say that maybe they have more chances to, to win this title and say, okay, our season was not as bad as you people say. Yeah, I mean, Braga, there was a time just a few months ago, going back to when they knocked out Porto from the Tasa semifinals with 10 men, playing with 10 men. I mean, it's just incredible. At that point, Braga, I think, were playing the best football in Portugal, doing it with so many players uh, injured, such as David Carmo and uh, Andre Castro, I believe. And so really impressed what they've done. But they've really, I don't think I'm exaggerating what I'm saying when I say they've gone off a cliff in, in recent months. It's been kind of night and day when you compare it. Braga now 10 points behind Benfica, and they will be playing Thursday night football next season as usual. <laughs> Only, so 13 points ahead of Passos. 10 points behind Braga. They have that fourth place sealed, which is, you know, pretty disappointing. But they do have the chance to end the season on a high note with a victory on Sunday against Benfica. Really excited to see what happens with that. But yeah, as far as as far as Benfica goes, I do agree. Uh, I think they're going to have a lot of investment. Maybe not the same level of investment that they had last summer with the signings of Darwin Nunes and, and Luca Waldschmidt. But uh, I do think that we could be seeing a lot of the, um, how do we say, vacas sagradas, the, the kind of the sacred cows in, in the dressing room, such as PZ, such as maybe Seferovic leaving. Jardel is leaving, all right? Jardel, right. Jardel. The I believe the longest serving player in the yeah, yeah. squad. Since 2011. Right. That's incredible. The only player who is going to be remaining from that Benfica team, the 2013-14 team that reached the Europa League final, the only player who will be remaining is Andre Almeida, who, in my opinion, has been kind of made redundant and, and I think what should also be leaving as well, given just how good Diogo Gonçalves has been. Uh, it would not be surprising for me to see him leave because I, I do think that Benfica kind of need that resurgence. And while it is good to have leaders such as Jardel and um, even going back to Samaris, who hasn't yeah. played in seemed like like an eternity because of alongside Jardel, um, you know, injuries. I do think that while it's good to have those dressing room leaders, you also kind of need that sort of, shall we say, a cleaning, a an upheaval of sorts. Um, so I do think that would that would do well. Talk to me though about this three four three. Do you think that uh, George Jesus sticks with it going into next season? I don't think so because uh, these are players that 
every season in, every season out, you expect these players to leave Benfica and somehow they manage to be at Benfica the next season. So this player like Andrea Almeida, he has been linking to the Premier League forever. Like uh, every transfer window, you hear about, okay, Andrea Almeida is heading to Leicester. Uh, Grimaldo, like I said, is heading to Napoli. These are has become a meme here in Portugal. Grimaldo is heading to Napoli here and that every two months you hear the, the same speculation. And also about Samari as well. Samari is, has been at Benfica. I think he has become like a, an assistant coach for Jorge Jesus because he's really close to Jorge Jesus. And, and nowadays, he, I think he, he has more importance in the dressing room than he has as a, an alternative for in the team, the squad. And the same can be said about uh, Jardel as well because he has been like like 14 years already that has been to be a time that you okay thank you so much for your service but we, we have to move on if you we want to keep growing up and I think this is a message that Benfica has to to give to their fans this transfer market okay easy easy is Benfica's captain a symbol every fan loves him but okay thank you very much for your service but we have to move on we have to bring some new blood some new players and see what happens because what what has been going on so far I don't think it's been the, the level that fans expect from Benfica like going into the, the Champions League but getting sent to the Europa League not winning any game in the group stage it's not a, a role you expect Benfica to play in Europe. So this is the kind of thing that you have to keep in mind when you plan the next season. Absolutely. I want to also just touch up on a player who has done well since joining from Brazil, uh, Lucas Verissimo. So Verissimo joining in the January window from Santos after playing the Copa Libertadores final and losing to Palmeiras. Verissimo, a player who Benfica were actually trying to bring in to replace the departing Juben Diaz last summer. They didn't get the deal done in time. uh, And so he ended up joining in January and has been playing on the right side of a back three alongside uh, two established veterans in Nicolas Otamendi and uh, Yander Tongen. Verissimo at 25 bit younger and Vesimo, of course, grabbing a goal in the 4-3 victory against Sporting at the Estadio da Luz. Uh, what have you made of Verissimo during his time in Brazil and Portugal? How good do you think he can be? And uh, overall, how important is he going to be next season as Benfica try to bounce back from this disappointing campaign and challenge for the league title? Verissimo has just been called up by Brazil for the first time. I do not be surprised if by the time of the next World Cup we have uh, four centre-backs in Brazil's squad and he's one of them, like with Marquinhos, Eder Militão and also Thiago Silva. So I would say that Verissimo, along with Marquinhos and Eder Militão, are Brazilian, the Brazilian centre-backs of the future. They, these guys are here to stay. And that's the reason why I think that Jorge Jesus pushes so much since he returned to Portugal for Benfica to sign him, because Verissimo is a leader by nature. You know, he doesn't need to speak much, to do uh, many things on, on the pitch, to let the, his teammates know what he wants, what he wants to do. And he's very technical as well. His position is awesome. He, he always seems to know where the ball is going to, and he's there to cut it. So I think Benfica has found in him a real a real golden golden player. 
yeah, for the for the future for the next the coming years, especially when you have uh, players like Jan Bertogen and Altamente playing by his side. These are players that want to be long at the club, I think. Yeah, I think that Everton has done well as well, but but I do think that Benfica's best signings have been in defense. I think that Vertonghen, Otamendi, and Verissimo have all been very... Bring back Gonçalves as well. Of course, and bring back Gonçalves. Yeah. But yeah, their best signings, I would say, have been in that defense. I think that's a really... It'll be interesting to see whether or not George Jesus sticks with the 3-4-3 because if he doesn't, who do you leave out, right? Do you leave out Beissimo? you leave out Otamendi? you leave out Bertongen? It's tricky, you know, but massive achievement to Verissimo getting in over the likes of Felipe Montero and Diego Carlos who've dropped off a bit after their really impressive first seasons in, in Spain uh, last season, as well as Rodrigo Cayo. Uh, of Flamengo, it's so hard to get a spot for the Selecao Brasileira because just because there's so much competition. In fact, Brazil are a country more than more than any country in the world that just have the luxury of letting players join other teams. Right, ex Benfica striker Rodrigo Moreno uh, playing with Spain, uh, along with so many other Brazilian. Tiago Alcantara, Diego Costa, obviously uh, Pepe, who has been. Uh, one of the greatest players in Portugal, Portuguese national team's history, born in Brazil and uh, going to Portugal at a young age. And we're seeing that, of course, Jorginho with Italy, you know, Lianco, the Torino defender, there's, there's reports that he's going to actually play for Serbia. And you do get that with a country like Brazil that is a melting pot, you know, so many uh, second or third generations from Italian, German, so on and so on. I think that's part of what makes Brazil such a footballing powerhouse is that you get kind of players from all kinds of backgrounds, you know, and I think that's that's what makes Brazil one of the kings of football and allows them to just say, okay, hey, you can you can play with another national team. We're, we're good in this position. Uh, two players, actually, who I wanted to touch up on uh, because they aren't getting any opportunities from the Brazilian team, from Tite. And actually, likely, there's reports that they will play for Portugal, Mateus Pereira and Otavio. It's just unbelievable to me that, that these two players, as good as Mateus Pereira and Otavio, not even counting Hafinha, who at this point looks like he could potentially be playing for the Azuri after his fantastic season at Leeds. It's, it's just crazy. But how important do you think uh, Mateus Pereira and Otavio would be for Portugal? Do you think that they would get in? Hypothetically, do you think that Portugal should try to cap-tie them and potentially bring them in for next year's World Cup? If you speak to Matheus Pereira, you would say that he is more Portuguese than Brazilian. <laughs> so I think it would be just natural for him to, to play for Portugal. And I think he would have a spot inside the, the Portuguese team because he's a player that I'm not sure if they have mm-hmm. one that's similar to him that brings to the table what he brings because he's a pure number 10. The kind of play that even Brazil doesn't, doesn't have right now. So because Brazil has uh, Felipe Coutinho and maybe Lucas Paqueta can also play this role. But apart from them, Brazil doesn't have any other play like him. So I think Brazil could fight Portugal for Matheus Pereira, but I, I wouldn't say the same for Otávio. And I'm not sure if Otávio actually could have a place inside the Portuguese squad as well because Portugal has so many good midfielders. So I'm not sure if Fernando Santos is considering bringing him to the squad for the Euros. 
he's actually been speaking a bit about it uh, lately, but he's always saying that, okay, let's see when the squad is announced next Thursday. So we will see. I wouldn't say that Otavio would make much difference for Portugal, but Matheus Pereira, yes. I think he would be a, a great addition for Portugal. Yeah, I think Otavio definitely has a tougher... I think it's probably an easier uh, route into Portugal than Brazil with, you know, competing against players such as, you know, Bruno Guimaraes and, and Coutinho and so on. But still, yeah, of course, Portugal, on the other hand, you know, a bit easier, but still pretty tricky. You know, you've got players such as Sergio Oliveira, Renato Sanchez, João Moutinho. Is, is he better than any of those? I'm not sure. But yeah. I do think that potentially with an injury or two, Maybe he'd find his way into a call-up. What do you think of Rafinha or Mateus Pereira's exclusions from the Brazil squad? If, if you were Tite, would you call him up or no? Yeah, sure, sure. Because uh, the thing is that uh, Tite, in this sense, is very similar to Fernando Santos. He's <laughs> so pragmatic. He doesn't like to test new players, especially a few months before the competition. So Tite prefers to stick with Everton Ribeiro, a player from Flamengo that hasn't been playing well for, I don't know, six months. Ania already he has the same level that he was in the past. Then bringing Matheus Pereira or Rafinha because he thinks it to be a huge with the, the players that he had before. And the same can be said about Portugal as well, because uh, Fernando Santos has already said that he has pretty much uh, almost the, the whole squad defining for the, the Euros. He just has four or five places to for players to fight for them. So if he hasn't called at any of the players so far, I wouldn't be expecting for him to do this now. Like, uh, without these players have not been in the, at the Portuguese camp. So... Why would he bring a play that's not used to the... Because it's something that we also have to consider. We have to consider because it's part of the ingredients that make a team, a team to fight. So he's not totally wrong about this as much as I have some kind of criticism for his choice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the thing with so many international managers, such as Deschamps and so on, and Mancini. You know, they they are very loyal to their guys. I know there are a lot of people criticizing uh, Roberto Mancini for not putting in David Calabria in the squad, but that's the thing. You know, they're very stubborn and they're very loyal. And they stick with their guns. Moving back to Liga Nosh, though, we've got a lot to talk about. Famalico. It seems like just yesterday that they were bottom of Liga Nosh when Ivo. Vieira came in and took charge of club replacing Silas, exporting manager George Silas. And now, Famalicao currently eighth place, just three points behind Vitoria de Guimaraes, who have the uh, final, or currently in the final European spot, Europa Conference League. So it, it's just incredible what Vieira has been able to achieve at the club, taking them out of the relegation fight and leading them into a challenge for European football. Just Absolutely incredible. Obviously, Hubenam Marim will win the manager of the year for what he's done at Sporting, but I think that Vieira has definitely been one of the best coaches outside of Amorim in Portugal this season, considering the achievement that he's done in such a short amount of time. Talk to me about Vieira. I mean, this is pretty incredible what he's done to get this Famalicão side not only getting really good results, but playing really uh, attractive football as well. Yeah, I think no one can dispute what said that Vieira has been one of the best managers we had this season in Portugal. And I think no one could really understand what was going on in 
at Famalicão because they, like, uh, I don't know, a year or a year and a half before, I spoke to the president, Miguel Ribeiro. Miguel Ribeiro is a guy that used to be the sporting director at Huawei. And he has a really good knowledge of the players around Europe. And he has built a really great side for them. Like this season, you had a totally different side for the last season. You don't have Pedro Gonçalves around anymore. But now you have Ivan Jaime. You have now Luis Junior, who I expect to be uh, international for Brazil in the future as well. You have also players like Manuel Ugarte. You have uh, other players, so many players. Uh, Ruben Vinagre also playing a very good football after not being so successful in England. So everyone was here in Portugal asking what's going on there. And then they let the former manager go, bring Silas. It doesn't work as well. And Silas just stay for, I don't know, a month, two months, and is let go as well. And then comes the, the new coach and do an amazing job. And you can just be impressed if they have been doing so far and expect them to do a much better role next season, I think. Yeah, it's, it's been pretty impressive uh, what he's done. And I definitely agree with you with Ivan Jaime and Luis Jr. as well, especially Luis Jr., player who uh, was really under the radar when he when he came in to the sport. You know, it looked like ex-Benfica goalkeeper Ivan Zlobin was going to start. But it's been Luis, the, I believe, 20-year-old Brazilian who's established himself as one of the most you know underrated goalkeepers in the Anosh. I really like him, and I think that he's got a big future ahead of him. I think he can be the new Anderson, maybe. Because he, potentially, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they, 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 the stories are very similar. You know, the guy who leaves Brazil without anyone noticing comes to Portugal, goes to a, a smaller side, and then from there he moves to a bigger one. And then from there he can go to the Premier League, another big league, I don't know. Yeah, super impressive from him. I mean, Brazil are pretty well covered with Alisson and Ederson, but... You know, I, I I don't see why in the future Luis Jr. couldn't challenge for a squad spot. It'll be interesting to see what happens. So Famalicão, you know, fantastic season from them. But another club who have been really, shall we say, an, an up-and-coming underdog who are just three points ahead of uh, Famalicão and tied with Vitoria for the final European spot, Santa Clara, team uh, from the, the Azores, from the middle of uh, the Atlantic, who, who have done a really impressive job under Daniel Ramos, currently seventh. And, you know, they did lose to Famalicão earlier in the month, but they have really bounced back with two straight victories. And, you know, we, we spoke about actually another Brazilian player on, on the podcast last week with Tom Condert going with uh, Lincoln as his uh, talent of the week. And yeah, Santa Clara getting two victories against Yoav and Belenso to stay in the race for European football. Um, really impressive season for them, especially considering the fact that they had sold their, their top scorer at the time, Thiago Santana, to a Japanese club. Very impressive from them. A very impressive from Daniel Ramos, who took over from Joao Enriquez, um, who went to Vitoria, the side that's currently you know tied with them in the race for for European football. Daniel Ramos coming in last, last summer and, and just done a great job so far. I think that alongside Vieira and Pepa, 
He's probably been one of the best of the rest managers after Amorim. Done a fantastic job and proven why he is one of the most underrated managers in Portugal, in my opinion. What have you made of the Santa Clara team? Who has caught your eye? And do you think Daniel Ramos could be posed for, for a bigger move? I'm not sure because, like I said, he, he's a player that I think he's underappreciated here in Portugal because he, he's very defensive-minded. So that's not something that people usually like to see, especially in their teams. So I wouldn't be expecting him to, to make the jump for a bigger side next season. I think he, he will probably stay at Santa Clara. But there are... Two players, maybe that are, that I think that I can move to to bigger sides. One of them is a Brazilian one. It's Carlos Carlos Júnior. He uh, in Brazil he was only known by Carlos, but here in Portugal he's known as Carlos Júnior. And he's been really impressive to see uh, here in Santa Clara because in Brazil we we actually weren't expecting him to do this kind of impact anymore in in his career because he was really good at Atlético Mineiro. That's his first club. But after that, I think he just missed the, the timing to move to a bigger side. He had the offer from Shakhtar Donetsk in Ukraine, from Russia as well. But for some reason, he didn't make the move. And he ended up moving to, to Portugal, to Santa Clara. That's not what he was. we expect him to go after the impact he had at Atlético Mineiro. And the other player is a Japanese one. I think he, you guys have already discussed him a lot here. Morita, he's a really good one, a good one. And I know that a lot of big guns here in Portugal are already watching him. And maybe these two players, I think that they can move to in the next transfer to a bigger side. Absolutely, yeah. The J-League giveth and the J-League taketh. Uh, Santa Clara losing top scorer Thiago Santana to Shimusu C.S. Pulse in the January window. But bringing in Hidemasa Morita from Kawasaki Frontal, and he's been just massive in midfield. That, mm, that's not something you would be expecting from Santa Clara because the club here in Portugal that has close ties to Japanese football is Portimonense. Right. So you would be expecting Portimonense to, to pull a, a deal like this, but not Santa Clara, so kudos to them. No, Portimonense, of course, another interesting club who I think that since the fantastic season of uh, Shoya Nakajima. They've been very heavily investing in the Japanese market, you know, trying to find another Nakajima. And we've seen that with, you know, Koki Anzai and a lot of Japanese players really exploring an underrated market. But yeah, and I, I do think that more and more clubs will try to find that because really such an underrated market. So many impressive Japanese footballers nowadays. And Morita, great performances in midfield. Lincoln and Carlos as well. Also really impressive from uh, defenders Mikel Villanueva and Fabio Cardoso, two players who could potentially be uh, getting moved soon. So yeah, a lot, a lot of promising talents at Santa Clara. Um, hats off to them, what, whether they get European football or not, they had a fantastic season. I want to switch gears for a second and talk about Porto. So Porto missing out on the league title and, you know, they've had... Apart from their great run in Europe, I'm not sure how many Porto fans will be satisfied with this season because considering the fact that they've, they are going to end the season without a trophy, um, it, it hasn't been a great season for them apart from their getting to the quarters. But since that 1-1 draw 
against Benfica, some promising, really promising results for them. We have seen Porto getting a 5-1 victory over Farange and a 3-0 victory away at Tioav, putting Tioav in, in deeper danger of relegation. Porto, they do have, despite their disappointing season, they do have, they have scored the most goals in Liga Noche with 70, which is 10 more than Sporting and four more than Benfica. And of course, a lot, two, eight goals of those have come from the past two games against French and Tioav. So impressive uh, end of the season. And one minor detail that that has you know caught my eye is the fact that in neither of those games Musa Marega has played. Musa Marega has not played in either of those games. Marega, a player who very much a hot and cold player in in the Porto fan base, player who has been you know definitely one of Sergio Conceição's favorite players. But uh, joining Al Hilal on a free transfer in the summer, as such, wasn't even included in the squad for the last game for, uh, I think they, they've said he, he broke the rules for that announcement prior to the season. But um, I, I think that a lot of Porto fans are kicking themselves and wondering, man, what if, what if Al Hilal had announced the signing just a few months prior? Um, because Marega, you know, as, as important as he has been for Porto, he is a very frustrating player. And I know that so many Porto fans are saying, we could be playing so much better football uh, without Marega and, and with uh, Meditaremi and Tony Martinez up top. And I think that, you know, despite the fact that it's only been two games, I think we are seeing that. I think we're seeing Porto play better football and have just a much more fluid attack without Marega. And, you know, I said at the time that of all the players that Porto have lost on free transfers in recent years, Yassin Brahimi, Hector Herrera, uh, so on and so on, I think that Marega is definitely the least damaging. You know, if it was up to me, I would have sold him a year or two before. But if, if you have the decision between renewing him or letting him go on a free transfer, for me, it's no discussion. I, I, I would let him leave. But do you think that Porto are a better team without Marega in attack? I have no doubt about that because uh, I would say that Marega is uh, one of the most intriguing characters we have here in Portuguese football because I would say that he is the best horse player in the league because uh, you know, you know, he doesn't he just doesn't seem to be at the, the level you expect for a Porto player, especially if you maybe look ten years ago, you had a had a Mel Falcão leading your attack and now you have Marega so it's just not the same level like it's, I don't think it's the same level as well if you consider Tony Martinez and Marini and even Evan Nilsson who Porto paid I don't know maybe 10, 10 million euros to bring him and I don't think he's the player to, to lead the Porto's attack for in the future for the years to come and I think Porto can do a lot better but I don't I'm not sure if Porto can do a lot better under Sergio Conceição because this is the kind of football that Conceição enjoys so and somehow Porto fans enjoy this kind of football as well because it's not about technique and play and entertainment gaming, this kind of stuff, they put uh, leaving everything on the pitch first, then all this kind of thing so I think they are just happy with they, what they had so far and going into the Champions League quarterfinals while Benfica hasn't, haven't been doing that for years, so of course they could do a lot better, but I'm, I'm not sure if they could have done with all the financial fair play impact over the, the past years, so 
I think they are just uh, conscious about that. But maybe next season they can do a, a better. Right. So Portuguese league, uh, you know, we're going into the final uh, match day as well as the Tassa final between Benfica and Braga. Um, and then, of course, the transfer market, silly season, as it is called, uh, will begin. Uh, Marega already announced his departure. Um, and one individual whose status is weighing heavily on Porto is Sergio Conceição, manager, been in charge uh, for the past few years. But his contract is up in the summer, just in a few weeks. I think that, there, you know, there still isn't a clear cut. It seems like Porto President Pinto da Costa does want him to stay. But Conceição himself, I'm, I'm not sure if he's convinced whether he should stay, whether he should take some time off, whether he should try his, his, his skills abroad, um, potentially go to Italy. If you were in charge, wh- what do you think would be best for Porto? Uh, Conceição staying or leaving? And do you think he will stay or, or depart? Of course, if I am Pinto da Costa, I would rather have Conceição staying because he represents the Porto's spirit. He he brought this back because they had other other coaches over the past year that didn't have this in them. So Conceição has brought this back and it worked. We couldn't have worked better than it did. But I think if I were Sergio Conceição, I would leave the, the summer because I think he has already done what he was supposed to do. And I think he has already had uh, everything he here in Portugal because, you know, after three years, four years, uh, you just couldn't can't stand this environment anymore because uh, so much trouble every week. Uh, one week with the refer, another week with the, the other club, uh, the other week with the league. In, in Conceição, is a coach that likes to, to take the problems with him. He, he doesn't let the, the president solve the problem. He, he does himself. So I think he's already has his mindset to, into a move this summer, maybe to Italy, because he's very highly hated in Italy. And that's a place that he's been linking for some years already. Absolutely. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Conceição. I can definitely see the benefits as well as the disadvantages. I can understand why a lot of you know, Porto fans want him to leave. At the same time, I can totally understand why Pinto da Costa uh, wants to keep him for a few more years. You know, stay tuned for that. It'll be very interesting to see what happens. Now I want to get into our Talent of the Week section where we discuss a promising, under-the-radar player who's who's catching a lot of people by surprise. Our, our guest last week, Tom Cundert, went with a Brazilian player playing at Santa Clara in Lincoln, I'm actually going to go with another Brazilian at Santa Clara and Carlos Jr. Carlos Jr., who, you know, as we say in Portugal, está de pé quente. He's got that hot foot right now. Everything that he touches seems to turn into gold. Carlos, as, as you pointed out, player who had been impressing in Atletico Mineiro, joined Hugh Av back in 2019 in, in the winter transfer window, didn't really get much in the way of uh, opportunities and didn't really prove himself, eventually went and uh, was sold to a third-tier 
Lulitano, but then went to Santa Clara there under Joao Enriquez. Enriquez now at, at Vitoria and going on loan, eventually made permanent. And Carlos has really been one of the breakthrough sensations, I think, at Santa Clara under Daniel Ramos this season. Santa Clara were really in need of a, a new talisman and attack after Thiago Santana uh, left for Japan in January. And that player who's, who's stepped up has really been Carlos, who you know has, has been played from time to time as a lone striker, but, but mainly impressing on, on either wing and, and grabbing 13 goals for the Azorian side this season. So really phenomenal form that he's having at Santa Clara, including a brace uh, on Sunday against Billy Inch. So another Brazilian who kind of joined without anybody really noticing him and who's really stepped up so far and, and, and impressed at Santa Clara. There are a lot of rumors that, you know, he could potentially be making a step up. I think Benfica are linked to them. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of teams such as maybe Braga, such as maybe, you know, Victoria will, will be interested in him, especially if Santa Clara miss out on European football. It'll be interesting to see what happens with with Carlos. What do you make of Carlos? What what do you think his ceiling is? Uh, still just 25 years old, so still not quite at his prime, but approaching it. Uh, I think the thing he, about Carlos was that uh, in Brazil, he had reached the point where he had to, to ask himself, where do I go from here? Because he, he was a player that we expected him to feature for bigger sides in Europe. Like I said, he was linked to Shakhtar Donetsk, also to a move to Ukraine, but he never materialized. So he ended up moving to, to Huawei and then from Huawei to Santa Clara. So he's just enjoying his second chance in career. And I think he's making the best out of it because he's doing very good so far. And... I think he would be a great addiction to clubs like Vitória de Guimarães, to Braga as well. And, and I don't expect him to stay at Santa Clara ahead of the new season. I agree. I think Braga would be a great shot. Uh, Who is your talent of the week, Marcus? I, oh, it's actually seeing uh, Carlos as well. Ah. I have been, <laughs> <mine> too. <laughs> you have to pick a new one. That's, that's why I went first instead of letting uh, you <laughs> Maybe Pedro Gonçalves after... Pedro? Okay. He's scoring a double, so I think it's going to be one of the attractions in the last round of the, the league né? To, to know who is going to be the top scorer, Seferovic or Pedro Gonçalves. I would tip Pedro Gonçalves and expect him to be because he's doing very well so far. And I think it will be a rewarding after a great season at Sporting. I'm pretty sure that Pote makes team season. Does Seferovic make your team season? Well... It's a bit odd to leave uh, the two <laughs> top scorers out yeah. of the team of season, but I think I'll leave, leave him out of the out. Yeah, it, it's a weird one for me because, I mean, Severovic, really the, the Patino Feo, you know, the ugly duckling, yeah. uh, player who has, you know, obviously scored a lot of goals this season, but has also missed a ton, almost a Timo Werner syndrome, <laughs> you know, a player yeah. who has definitely been a good signing for Benfica, but uh, who Benfica probably should have cashed in on it and should, yeah. I, ex- I, would expect them, yeah. I would expect them to sell him, you know, whether or not uh, Carlos Vinicius returns. I'm not sure if I would put Severovic in, which is, which is kind of weird because he, he may end up as the top scorer, but I'm not 100% sure that he's been better than, you know, a player like Mario Gonzalez or Meditaremi yeah. or... You know, I don't know. 
but we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, um, sure. But anyways, thank you so much, Marcus, for coming on the show. Uh, where can people find you? Oh, they can follow me on, on Twitter. It's uh, underline Marcus underline Alves. And also they can, they can read my work uh, usually at the BBC spot, the Daily Telegraph, uh, at the Folha de São Paulo in Brazil, and also Kicker in German as well. Wow, German. Impressive. So yeah, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Uh, make sure to follow and subscribe to us on our various streaming platforms. And uh, thank you once again, Marcus, for coming on the show. Um abraço. Thank you very much. Um abraço.